Please know that when I'm taking deep breaths, it has nothing to do with the conversation. I am not sighing. I just need them. <laughs> okay. Because you took a deep breath earlier, and I was like, oh, she wants to say something. And then you just retched and coughed, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. Yeah. My lungs are tired. Mm. That's just me all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jerry's had a- COVID for the past 30 years. If I take a deep enough breath, I might not cough. It's always with you. Yep. <clears throat> Did you ever have pneumonia or anything Wild. as a kid? Um, no, but we had black mold in our house growing up. So. There it is. Yep. Hello, friends. My name is Jacob Collins, and you're listening to the Mist Conceptions podcast. time is it oh, okay let's go get some tea where's Rin I don't remember him coming back last night let's go check on him okay he's not there he's not in his cot I mean I guess he could be using the restroom outside he's a little odd I hope that idiot shows up What a crazy turn of events. Just want this to be over. But we press on. Previously on Misconceptions, the crew found the body of Paul St. George, a uh, wealthy tech mogul who owned Knight Industries, but about a year ago had sold his company. Uh, Who he sold it to, I mean, it's not really important. What matters is Paul St. George sold Knight Industries. At least that was the headline. And he was living a life of wealth, but the crew found him dead in his swimming pool. After investigating, Rin and Bill found some receipts and ledgers of cash being taken out and given to different uh, organizations across the city. Um, Esther found a training room and uh, figured out that Paul St. George must have been training and preparing himself for something. And then Faye found a open window, and then a sense of ill unease crept over the crew, and they left the, uh, the murder scene, and uh, Rin got an alert on his phone, and then made a hasty retreat on his uh, electronic scooter. Uh, never to be seen again by the crew. But this episode picks up... uh, Where does this episode pick up? I assume in the warehouse, since that's where we said we were going to meet Rin. Yeah. Okay. Is it the next morning? Yes. All right, so uh, y'all spent the night in uh, the abandoned warehouse. 
uh, for the night. Uh, Bill, I guess you did too. You didn't go back to the motel. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> oh, yeah, I need my family. Okay. <laughs> so at the, the warehouse then or at the motel? At the warehouse. Okay. Uh, so at the warehouse, uh, the three of you wake up from whatever sleeping bags you were you were sleeping on or whatever kind of arrangements you have made to, to crash in this warehouse. Uh, but you wake up to uh, a text on all of your phones that says, uh, Hey gang, decided to lay low and leave for a little bit. Hope you find the answers you're looking for. Hug, hug, kiss, kiss. Signed, Ren Pascal. And then you see just so many gifts. Just nonsensical <laughs> gifts. Face it straight up on her lovely plant cot. I'm sorry, what? What Esther wants to do <clears throat> is just delete the text. Okay, so, Faye, you look over at Esther sliding left and pushing the X button next to every GIF and the original text. Well? I'm the leader now. (laughs) Esther, you were always the leader. (laughs) I know. Just had to remind everybody. Do we think this is real? Did he get taken? I, I don't understand. Okay, he said if he needed us, he would get to us, and he doesn't seem to need us, so. And the message seemed very Ren-like. That's true. The gifts were a pretty good giveaway. Do we think that he's... Is it... I mean, do we need to be concerned? He said he has trackers on all of our phones. You're right, we should get all new phones. Bill needs an upgrade anyway. There's nothing wrong with this Nokia. Um, okay. Um, what about our comms? And everything electronic? I mean, he doesn't have his. That's true. We can Google it. Google. Google it. We can Google it. That's... Also what are we wor- are we afraid that he's going to track us down? I don't know. I'm well, as we all know, I am often the emotional one in the group and um you two never cease to be practical. So, I'm just going to go with how you're both feeling right now and we are we are good with this. This is a thing that is happening. And Faye is clearly uncomfortable. <laughs> so we know what y'all know what was in the gym Faye what did you find everything was too perfect um, the living room the seat didn't make any sense it wouldn't be comfortable for anyone um, yeah but don't rich people just like buy fancy things because they look cool not for functionality I don't know. I mean, it probably was like a good sex couch or something, but like wasn't a good sitting and comfortable couch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there were tons of cars in the garage. They were lying perfectly. The keys were lying perfectly. Were there any cars? Did like was there a car missing? 
I don't know, there wasn't. And the only thing that was off was that um, the balcony door was open. Um, and the balcony was all glass, and I went out there with my gun, um, which is still bulging on her hip. Um, Did you sleep with it in your yoga pants? 100%, yeah. I don't oh, know what Faye. to do with the gun. <laughs> Faye, you can't, you can't sleep with your gun in your pants. I turned the safety on. No worries. I found out. Where does Esther sleep with her gun? No one knows. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, the balcony door being open was very, very odd because either someone left in a hurry when we got there or I don't know. It was just everything was too pristine. And I looked out the balcony and there wasn't anyone in the home office. I found a bunch of receipts um, that matched up with some anonymous charitable donations that he had the newspaper clippings of. So I don't know what was up with that. But Rin said he was the least charitable person he'd ever known in his life. So it didn't seem like something uh, that he should be up to. When you say that you found receipts that were connected to these, like, clippings, were they, like, checks made out to people? Or, like, what were, like, did the receipts say what it was for? Uh, Bill still has the clippings and receipts so uh, Bill if you choose to produce them I could kind of describe to the crew what what it is here let me produce them (laughs) (laughs) Bill produces these receipts and newspaper clippings and uh, he shows you where he paired up like here was a uh, anonymous donation of a thousand or fifty thousand dollars in cash made to the Jack and Jill orphanage uh, he shows you the bank statement that has a withdrawal of cash, $50,000. Um, and there are all these charitable uh, or nonprofit organizations that had these newspaper articles written about them saying, anonymous donor, anonymous donor. Uh, and there's some articles like trying to link this person, like the donations together, like, who is this generous benefactor that gave to uh, the... Peter Pan Fund and uh, all these other organizations. Like, are they connected? Um, And it would seem that he took money out of his account and sent cash anonymously to these places. So I may be taking us too far down a rabbit trail and stop me if I am. Um, Are these legitimate charities or are these, are any of these like, hey, I know that that one maybe has mafia connections or something like that or how it because like i i'm thinking from esther's point of view she's she grew up in this city um and so so with her having grown up in the city she would know like what the different like places are like she knows about the local orphanage she knows so like are any of them like uh well that's actually a front for something maybe or or is that something I could go into or is that a completely different rabbit trail that's not that is a good question and from what you know these organizations are all on the up and up these are all legitimate charitable organizations are they all and maybe I need to roll and investigate for this or maybe I don't I don't know 
Um, are they all like child related? Because you've mentioned uh, orphanage. Yeah, no. It was just the only charitable organization <laughs> I could think of is one that helps children. But if anyone can think of other charitable organizations, <laughs> like Meals on Wheels. Yes, and- thank you. There is a yeah, like the the Meals on Chariot. Uh, he donated to and uh, things like that. Yes. Those receipts have dates on them. Yes. Yes. Um. Are they all within the same day, week? Are they scattered out? That wasn't English, but... Looking at them, they are spread out. This did not happen in a specific time. Um, a, the first withdrawal seems to be uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and then the article after... The article that coincides with that amount was, like, a week later. Okay. So, he sold his business about a year ago. He started making charitable donations about six months ago. And all of these charitable donations have been made in the last six months? Yes. I'm just wondering if he realized that he got himself into some really deep shit. And then he's like... I want out so he sells the business because he wants it out of his name and then he's still like that didn't fix it six months goes by and he still feels guilty and so then he starts giving away his money in a way to like redeem himself yeah all the bad that he did or was involved in yeah I think it's possible I think it'd either be guilt driven or blackmail is, uh, I would guess would be the two culprits. Javi could be helpful in... Um, he's a really good investigator, so maybe he could help us figure out who Paul St. George sold this company to. Might have some resources and some knowledge that we don't. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely possible. And plus, if we could get him into investigating something, maybe it'll give him a purpose again. Sure. Kind of been lacking that a little bit. Um, I apologize. Um, where did we leave, Harvey? Um, <laughs> you know, he was looking for some stuff. Did did we did we leave him on the street looking for a shelter, <laughs> like looking for a base? No, for did us? he stay at yeah. my place? <laughs> David shaking his head. Yes. We no, all we stayed him? there, but we stayed there, but then we were yeah. Y'all went to the cottage, and then you sent Woodard and Muhammad to investigate Cooper Wheatley, and Esther sent him to look for a base, and then you went to Ren's base and made that your base, and never touched base with Javi. Oh, God. Good. Good, good. To be fair, he hasn't touched base with us either. No, he hasn't. Um, real quick... I realize that we are about to go down a different trail, so I apologize. Um, have any of us tried to access the supercomputer now that Ren is gone? No. Um, GM, can um, we try? Do I remember that? Can't we not use it if we have Bill? Bill remembers it as a big computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I've used it before, but I don't think I've... Yeah, so he... I don't think I could use it in the futuristic sense now. Yeah, Bill probably remembers it as, like, there was a trap door that you had to, like, push something and, like, go down, and then it was, like, this huge computer underneath the facility, 
Um, but you go over to the vending machine uh, that is oddly placed against the back wall of this warehouse, and you try to do the things that Rin did to access the uh, sliding door that led into the secret future computer room, and you cannot. Okay. I suspected. Would have just made life a lot easier if we could just ask the supercomputer who Paul St. George really was, but... Why do things the easy way? Let's find Javi. I... dial up Javi's number? Okay. Hmm... What do I want to do? Where's Javi been? Because it's only been... like, two days... It's only been two days. Mm-hmm. Some long-ass days. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so, Esther, I'll leave this to you. Did Javi find the base and go back to the safety of the cottage to wait to touch base with all of you? Or did he... Did he go find the base and then return to the cottage? Or did he get sidetracked and start looking for his own answers. <laughs> She's going to roll. <laughs> he got sidetracked. Okay. So you try to call him. He uh, it rings. It rings. And it goes to voicemail. I'm sorry, but the person you called has a voicemail box that has not been set up yet. Goodbye. What do you do? I look up his GPS location on my phone. Ooh, interesting. So you do like the Find Your Friends app or whatever? Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. So I open it up and I look and he is located... At the corner of Rook and Bishop Street. Ba-da-da-da! Wait, what's there? The library. What library? The library where Lena works. Interesting. Esther has a story too. <laughs> oh, okay. Ah. That's right. <laughs> okay, so you open it up and you see that information. So, and it's morning. Mm-hmm. And how far away are we from there? Two miles. I don't know. You're a distance away that you could get to. Well, obviously. I'm going to the library. Are we going with you, or are you going alone? You can come. Great, I've been meaning to read Midnight Sun. (laughs) Do we want to get our disguises on? Yes. Bill's like holding a box of wigs. Like smiling. (laughs) Oh, that's right, because now I'm wanted as a blonde. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yep. I dye my hair red. Oh my god! Oh, finally, I let it happen. Thank God, Esther's back to her normal self. I'm not a, a redhead. Bill puts on a blonde wig. What kind of wig do you Is put it on? A Guy Fieri wig. Yes, frosted tip. Bill, I don't think anyone would recognize you anymore, anyways. That's fair. Yeah, uh, just for good measure. And Flavortown references. Yeah. Could I do a flashback, David, to... Well, okay, I'm just going to say, can I, I have a flashback? 
Uh, yeah, sure. So, the, in the flashback, you see Bill when uh, after we kind of get back from the island, and Bill gets his family back and everything. He like takes a look at his car, and then he thinks, and he looks back at his car, and then he thinks, and then the next scene you see him like. Uh, at a junkyard taking license plates off of like a an old scrap Oldsmobile and then screwing them onto his and like throwing his license plates in the trash and then going like this dusting his hands off nice okay okay so you're uh like so your car will not be recognized right sure so like sure. I'm sure that maybe there's a description out there, but my car is one of those dime a dozen cars. So it'd Mm. be like if I drove like a silver Toyota Corolla, like, okay, well, I'm sure not every cop in the city is going to be looking at anyway, everything. But even if they are, the license plates will come back as some probably grandma or something. Okay. Okay. Um, Yeah. Go ahead and roll a change the game as part of this flashback. You son of a gun. Okay. So, that would be... I mean, I really don't have any th- my sneaky stuff anymore. Mm, it's a bluff, right? Huh? Sure. Okay. <laughs> so, let me roll plus one. Oh, so close. I got a nine. Okay. So, you do have two juice. You can create a store tag, burn a power tag or store tag, or give or reduce a status. I'm going to create a story tag. I'm going to call it Disguised Ride. Okay. And then I'm going to use the other point to beef it up and say that I gave it like a rattle can spray paint job also. Okay. So it's like a matte black or something. Okay. And what do you want to call that uh, tag or status? New Whip Who Dis. Okay, so you create a disguised ride store tag with a new whip who dis one status. Exactly. All right, please record that somewhere. Hello friends and welcome to the mid-roll section of episode 76 of Misconceptions. I'm your host, David White. And I don't know about you, but I am feeling very nervous about the United States presidential election results that are happening tomorrow. Um, But I am doing my best not to to think about that right now, and I hope that if you are nervous about that election as well, that you aren't dwelling on it and worrying yourself about it, and I hope that instead, this episode is taking you out of that anxiety and that nervousness just for a moment so that we can all exist in the city where the bad guys always get what they deserve. 
And let's do a little bit of housekeeping before we get back to that city. Um, as you know, we have a Patreon, and we use that Patreon to pay for our sound effects, our cool ambiance, the uh, RSS website hosting fees. And recently, we had hit $400 a month, and at that $400 a month level... I was able to pay the performers of Misconceptions and Sins of the Father for the hard work they do. Now, as is the life cycle of Patreon, some of our patrons de-pledged, some of them decreased their pledges, and now we have dropped below that $400 a month mark. If you are a fan of this show and you're not already giving on our Patreon, I would uh, beseech thee to do so, um, because... Uh, Patreon, like I said, it is it makes it able for us to do all these cool, awesome things, uh, and it also uh, allows me to pay my friends for the hard work they do. So, if you would like to see the performers of Misconceptions, Tessa and Carrie and Jaime, get paid for the work they do, please consider clicking the link below in the show notes and going to our Patreon to give there. Um... We just need, you know, around $20 to get back above our $400 a month level, and I cannot suggest highly enough the $5 a month level. It's not expensive. Uh, It's not going to really weigh down your bank account with monthly charges, uh, but what it does give you is early access to our episodes. Really, it gives you early access to the uncut audio from our episodes so that you can listen to uh, all our bits and goodies that are left in there before everybody else. But it also gains you access to the Misconception SideQuest series where we play a rotation of games and sometimes I'm the GM and sometimes I'm not the GM. Um, But whatever system we're playing, whoever we are playing with, we are bound to have a good time and to create some good content. Now, Halloween has passed. Spooky season is over. But that doesn't mean you have to quit celebrating spooky season. Because on Halloween, we released our uh, Halloween special on our side quest feed on Patreon. And it's not just for the $5 and up patrons. It is for all of our patrons. So if you are a patron at any level, we wanted to say thank you uh, and give you a bit of holiday magic by letting you listen to this episode. And, uh, you know, if you would like to get in on listening to that Halloween episode, just go to our Patreon, pledge any amount, and you will be able to help us pay our performers, but also get a little bit of a good story about Halloween. Uh, To entice you a little bit more, here's a preview clip from our Halloween special. And then you hear this tinkling noise on the other side, and you hear the sound of a key being slid into a lock, the bolt being turned, and the door opening. And you see Mr. Bagley walk in from the darkness of the hallway. He looks confused. He looks around the room. His eyebrows furrowed. And then he walks across uh, the room to his desk, right past the closed uh, closet door where you are. He walks across, uh, and he's just about his business and moving things and he sees everything strewn everywhere and he looks back towards the closet door where you three are and he starts walking towards the closet door and his hand reaches out for the doorknob 
and as his fingers touch the brass metal Ooh, wasn't that spooky scary well if you want the spooky feelings go ahead like i said click on that patreon link and help us out and i would just like to say thank you to our patrons past future and present thank you so much for giving to us and helping support this show financially so that we can continue to make it better and bigger now that is all the show notes out of me let's get back to the episode and let's figure out what's going to happen at the library of rook and bishop street Y'all drive over to uh, the corner of Rook and Bishop Street. It is in a uh, discarded old part of town. The buildings here have been here for many, many years. Very old architecture. Most of these buildings are abandoned. At one point in time, this might have been a bustling part of town, but as of now, it's discarded uh, in favor of new, glittering, taller more sleek looking buildings um but you come to the corner of rook and bishop street and you see an old stone building with uh, shuttered glass windows and um these statues at the base of this these uh, this flight of stairs that lead up to the front of uh the building which is this which are these ornate uh, carved oak doors. But the statues at the front, uh, they're done up in the way that you would see like lion statues done up, but they are owl statues with their wings outstretched to either side of them. Uh, and as y'all step out of the car onto this very quiet, deserted street, uh, Esther, I think you look up and you see owls ringed around the roof of this building like living owls living owls like normally you would see pigeons uh-huh. somewhere in the city but here you see just a flock of owls nested at the top of this library huh. never seen that before she kind of like rolls her shoulders back she turns her owl ring to the inside of her hand so that you can't see it. Like, you just see the band. Mm-hmm. And she takes a deep breath, and she walks up to the door of the library. Okay. Yeah, so you enter into this library, and it is one of these very old uh, libraries with shelves of old books cobwebs in the corner of the shelves there are little uh, reading desks set up in this common area with the little gold lamp posts with the green uh, shades on top uh, and the little drawstring to turn on the lamps Uh, there's a checkout center Um, the door opens as if this library is open but there is no Tenants, or not tenants, I should say patrons, here. Uh, checking out books or reading books or anything like that. But the door opens and you hear the... Ding, 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 
dingle of a bell above your heads as you enter. I want to go to the circulation desk. Okay, you go to the circulation desk. You see a um, like some stacks of books behind the shelf and things like that. There's no computer system. There's like the uh, card catalog wheel right there. Uh, and you see a shining silver bell. That's what I was looking for. I ring the bell. You ring the bell. And you hear from a great distance, you hear the tapping of a cane. And your eyes follow the sound of the tapping of the cane. And coming from around a corner, you see the woman that you saw in the video footage. Whenever you use the Super Future computer to research Lena... Uh, you see Lena. Um, she is about the same age your father would have been, so about 50. Um, she has graying hair pulled back into a bun, um, and she has a shawl thrown around her shoulders. And you see her walk around a corner tapping a, a walking stick as she makes her way towards you, and you see some heavy dark shades are across her eyes. Hello, hello. Welcome to the library. Hello. And she walks ever closer. But she says, "Well, it's been a it's been a long time since I've had someone visit this library. Uh, how how can I help you? What kind of a thing are you looking for?" Um Actually, I'm looking for you. Oh. Well, I'm flattered. What's your name? The name's Gina. Mm, well, hello, Gina. And uh, as she's tapping along, she like hits a table with her hip, and she kind of like stumbles for a second and looks at it strangely, and then looks back in your direction. She says, "And uh, who who do you have here with you, uh, Gina?" Faye steps forward. Hi, I am Ashley. <laughs> And shakes her hand. And I'm Fred. Hmm. Well, Gina, Fred, and Ashley. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Lena, and I am the one and only librarian at this establishment. We are very far secluded away from big populations, so we don't really get many people coming here. So... What can I help you with today? You said you were looking for me, Gina? Yes. How long have you worked here? Oh. Years, 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 years. What did you do before you worked here? <laughs> Nothing important. I'm sure it was important. Is my Is Esther wearing her ring? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is my ring doing anything right now? No, because Bill's here. <laughs> Bill's not here. Fred's here. Sorry. <laughs> oh, you're right. Then in that case, I was going to bring up that the place that would make sense to be awakened in is a library, especially if I'm like walking around and like seeing books that catch my attention mm-hmm. because of what my um, mythos is. Maybe I would find a book on like balance. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the balance of light and martial arts. So anyway, I was thinking about that, but I didn't want to take over 
the storyline anymore. Yeah. So. so do as Bill enters this area, he feels his force. Does Bill feel compelled to go find a book? Yes, I think so. Okay. So I, I introduced myself as Fred, and then I just kind of like started walking around while they were talking. Okay. So Bill, or Fred, uh, kind of walks away, and Lena calls over her shoulder. Well, let me know if you need anything. Uh, but anyway, Gina, back to your question. Um, nothing important. What kind of work was it, though? Nothing I looked back on too fondly. Anybody you miss working with? It's got to be lonely being the only one here. She nods and she says, oh, it, it is. And that is unfortunately the lot in life that I have been saddled with. Were you the only ones that have visited today? You're asking a lot of questions, Gina. Well, you're not giving a lot of answers. Oh, I have plenty of answers. You just need to look in a book. Esther picks up the first book she sees. Okay. So, Faye kind of picks up on... Doesn't have to pick up on it. um, But realizes the awkwardness of this conversation. Um, And, like nods at Esther in a way. I was going to say, like, pats her on the back, but Esther would not allow that. Um, But they just kind of do their, like, look at each other, and Faye finds Bill um, and, like, grabs a handful of books from the shelves and says, Hey, Bill, uh, uh, Fred, uh, hey, Fred, um... Do you want to go read these with me outside on the patio? Uh, sure. Uh, actually, let me grab this book, too. And I reach out and grab a book, and I bring it so we can go outside and read. Awesome. <laughs> um, Bill, what book did you grab? Uh, the Five Elements of Martial Arts. Okay, okay. Very interesting. Um... So, Bill and Faye, you you go to uh, outside to sit on the stoop and read. Um, uh, Lena calls after you and says, Well, if you want any of those, just let me know and we can check them out to you. I mean, I will check them out to you. Faye, Ashley, like, waves her hand, like, in a, like, yes, of course, as she's talking to Bill. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, Lena, being blind, does not see you. Wave your hand. Well, but you go out the door. She was blind. <laughs> <laughs> She's had a walking stick yep. and sunglasses. I thought they were just for style. Nope. <laughs> she wears her sunglasses yeah. inside. Yeah. Because so, um, as the door shuts behind Bill and Faye, or Fred and Ashley, uh, you see Lena kind of straighten a little. Um, just her shoulders pull back a little. She raises her chin, raises her head. And that table that she had bumped into before, she kind of taps it with her hand. 
almost like playfully, and then walks over to the circulation desk. And she says, Well, Gina, what can I help you with? Where is he? Where is who? You know who. I'm sure I don't. And she uh, stops at the circulation desk and picks up this uh, like pile of books. And she takes her cane and puts it in the crook of her arm. And without the aid of her walking cane, and you know, tapping it along the ground to kind of see where stuff is, she walks off towards uh, the bookshelves, leaving you behind her. I follow. Okay. And as you follow Lena, this blind librarian, you see her taking a book off the top of that stack she's carrying and reaching up and putting it just in the right spot where there was a vacancy in the shelf. And then she reaches about four books down and grabs another book and pulls it out and crouches down and pushes it into another vacancy in the shelf. You've worked here a long time. Oh, very long time. How did you get to be a librarian? Mm, That is a long story. Well, it's just me and you, so... (laughs) Honey, I don't know you. (laughs) And, um, once again, I'm the least interesting thing in this library, but most of these books were put here by me. If you were looking for any sort of secrets, these shelves would be the place to start looking. Because I am, and she cranes her head around at you, and you cannot see her eyes through the opaque dark glasses that she's wearing on her face, but you can feel that this blind woman is looking at you. She says, And I do know so very much about secrets, Gina. She turns and continues down the shelf, putting books back in their place. You say you're not interesting, but you say you know all these things about secrets. Well, sure. Somebody who knows secrets isn't as interesting as the secrets they keep. I think the secrets they keep make them interesting. So, Gina, why are you here? For you. But you won't tell me your real name. What do you mean? You're really going to make me drag it out of you, aren't you? What do you mean? (sighs) And she sighs heavily. And she kind of sets the books, the pile of books that remain down on the shelf. And she kind of leans against the shelf. Oh, you are every bit as stubborn as he was. As who was. (laughs) Are you going to tell me your name or not, child? The name's Black. (laughs) Esther Black. (sighs) And she sighs again. God, was it so hard just to say your name? Esther rolls her eyes. She smiles. He used to do that, too. Particularly around Javi. Used to do what? You're blind. 
I sure am. And she smiles. Look at you. It's been years since I saw you. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you, the hair on your head was just a bunch of red curls. You sure have grown up into a fine woman, Esther. I'm sure your father would be proud. Tell me what you know. <laughs> she motions to the shelves around her. How much time do you have? It's just me and you. Very well. I assume... And she looks at you. Ashley and Fred have nowhere better to be. Nope. Alright. Come with me, then. She walks to the end of the aisle. And she leads you... <laughs> sure. Uh, but she leads you to the end of this aisle where it opens up into like this little study area where there's some uh, sofa and chairs and like a, a coffee table with those um, lamps that I described earlier with the gold um, bases and the green uh, shades and little drawstrings. But you have this little seating area all pulled out right here. And uh, as you walk into this kind of open area, you hear a distant hooting above you in the rafters. I look up. You look up and you see just as there were owls outside of this library, kind of lining the roof, you see owls in the rafters of this roof, all looking down on you. Lena sits down on a, a sofa and she motions across the coffee table to you. I sit. So, what do you want to know? Are you going to make me drag it out of you? <laughs> it does only seem appropriate. I want to know everything. About your father. Are you sure you want to know all the dirty, dark details of Mordecai Black's life? I already know some of them. Why not know all of them? Very well. I first met Morty and Javi when I was working as an assistant to one Carmine Giuseppe. Now, mind you, he wasn't the mob boss that he is today. He was just a capo with dreams and a penchant for knowing what makes people tick and what they want. And I was his right-hand lieutenant, in charge with keeping tabs of his enemies and their secrets. In fact, some of those secrets are, she looks around, somewhere in this library. Of course, I found many others since then. But, as I said, I was a young lieutenant working for a young Carmine Giuseppe when your father, Morty, and his best friend, Javi, rolled in off the streets. Two street toughs with busted knuckles and busted lips. Young and hungry and wanting to prove themselves, and well, Carmine just gave them that opportunity. Esther, have you ever heard of um, The Butcher? Yeah. Well, we were the first butchers. The three of us. 
Morty, Javi, and myself. Her eyes get kind of big, but she tries to, like, play off the reaction a little bit because Mm -hmm. she doesn't want it to, like, look like she can't handle it. Sure. And Lena keeps going. We were Carmine's personal hitmen, his wet work squad. We went out and we found enemies of Carmine, enemies of the family, of the mob, and we took care of them. We did this for years. Uh, Your father was the mastermind behind the operation, Javi was the muscle, and I was the brains. Dad was the mastermind, but you were the brains? Well, yes. Your father always came up with brilliant schemes and plans, but he couldn't do any of them if he didn't have my vast knowledge and repository of secrets. So we went on being Carmine's uh, butcher squad for years, and as Carmine rose through the ranks, um, so did we. Eventually, we had done our tenure as the Butchers and made a name for ourselves and helped Carmine get to the very upper echelons of the society. And we were allowed to pursue our own endeavors. I was given uh, command of my own group of foot soldiers. I became a capo myself. Um, Javi was installed into the police. And Morty took up a bar where uh, he ran a front for smuggling weapons and laundering money for the Mafia. And that was the last I really saw of them for years. Until someone very close to all three of us turned up dead. The very next day, Morty and Javi were at my front door and they wanted answers. And so, the butchers were reunited once again. One last ride. So we did some digging, we did some investigating, we cracked skulls just like we used to. And we found out that our friend Ricky was alive. Not dead. But he was under a new identity. And... He was penniless. When we asked him what in the hell was going on, he told us that he died. And when he died, he saw Carmine. And Carmine gave him a choice. Carmine said he could die and pass on and be forgotten, or he could start over new live a new life. All he had to do was sign off his windfall to Carmine. His what? His windfall, his wealth, his money, his inheritance, everything he owned, he signed over to Carmine. Well, as you can imagine, that made us raise our eyebrows and piqued our interests, and we did some more digging. And we found out everyone we had killed was still alive. Under new identities, 
living new lives, but penniless, with all of their wealth having been transferred to Carmine. And then, it seems so obvious now, how Carmine was so able to gain all his fortune and to keep buying off politicians and businesses and buying his way to the top of the mob. Our hands were dirty with the blood money that we helped give him. Now, I'm sure you could say, who cares? (laughs) But, I don't know, I guess in a way we thought we were actually doing some sort of good, defending the family and doing something honorable. Well, when Javi found out about it, he freaked out, I guess is the best way to put it. And the thing inside of him very much wanted to kill Carmine. The thing inside of him? Yes, dear. Just like there's a thing inside of you and a thing inside of me, we are not just people in this city. There is something inside of all of us that gives us these strange, wonderful abilities that we have. And the one inside Javi wanted to kill Carmine. Well, things got very heated very fast. Morty was yelling. I was trying to talk both of them down. Javi was angry. He was about to storm the gates and take out Carmine himself. And then all of a sudden, Morty's grappling Javi. He has him pinned to the ground. He's yelling at me. He's yelling at me, giving me orders. And so, I used my abilities to enter into Javi's mind. And I broke it. I fractured his mind. And while picking up the pieces, I mixed some around and took some out and put some new pieces in. I took out memories of his connection to the thing inside of him. I replaced certain memories with an addiction to alcohol. I tampered with his memory to make him forget certain aspects of his life. And once I had done that, I had something that was very valuable to me and I suddenly couldn't stand to touch it or be near it any longer. Your father offered to take it from me and I did give it to him. He took Javi and that was the last time I saw either of them until Javi showed up on my doorstep just a few hours ago. And your father showed up on my doorstep a few years ago. It was the first time I had ever seen him. He looked old, he looked worn down, he looked beaten, and but that man never looked beaten in his life. He apologized for everything that had happened. Um, he gave me something to give to you. Let me 
check. And she starts looking around. And she says, oh, yes, and I forgot to mention, she taps her glasses. Uh, After what I did to Javi, um, along with losing the ability to use that trinket of power, I slowly started to lose my vision. And the Mafia could not stand to have a blind capo, so I was stripped of my rank. I was instead assigned to this library. But anyways, uh, yes, uh, she reaches into a pocket and she pulls out an envelope. And she puts it on the desk and she slides it across the table to you. And in or on that envelope, you see a familiar handwriting. A handwriting that you have seen in ledgers at your father's bar, in the little black notebook uh, that belonged to your father. But you see your father's handwriting. And on this envelope says, To Esther. Esther swallows hard and just stares at it. Almost like she's seen a ghost. You know, after he gave me that envelope, the next day I heard he had killed himself. We both know that's not what happened. Oh, yes. Morty Black was no coward. Do you know what happened? No. Can Esther tell if she's being honest or not? I don't know. Can Esther tell if she's being honest or not? Do you have the ability to check and see if somebody's being honest or not? You can read her thoughts. Do you want to do that? (coughs) I want to try. Okay. I think as you kind of adjust your ring, how do you how do you go to use your ring to read her surface thoughts? So I have my hand like down in my lap in such a way that like she wouldn't be able to see it. Mm-hmm. But I like cuz it's been turned in my fist. Mm-hmm. And I'm like turning it to the outside. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like and as you as you turn it to the outside and you focus on the ring to kind of reach out to read her surface thoughts, you hear this sharp, like, shrieking noise, like a prolonged tinnitus, but not in your ears, in your head. And as you kind of wince from the back feed, you look across the table and you see Lena doubled over, one hand against her head, and just grimacing with pain. I stop. You stop. And she takes a sharp intake of breath. And sits back up. He gave it to you. But why? It's been almost 20 years since I've been within 10 feet of that thing. And still hurts all the same. Be careful with that ring, child. It broke a man once. I'm sorry. Thank you. Where is he? He was pretty angry when he came here, looking for answers. Answers to questions he only half remembers. He's really messed up. Yes. And being here, behind these walls, and not having seen him for years... I could imagine that he was happy. I can imagine he was living a better life, but seeing him today, 
smelling the alcohol on his breath. I was reminded of what I did to him. Anyways, he came here looking for answers, and... Well, I gave him the slip in this labyrinth of a library. We could find him easily enough, though. Tell me, has he... remembered anything? Some. I wonder... if just being close to you and close to that ring... somehow undoing the damage that I did. Well, are you going to read that letter? Here? I can walk away if you would rather. Have your privacy. No, it's fine. I pick up the letter and... Okay. Esther, you tear open the, the envelope and you pull out a folded up piece of notebook paper. And inside you see a handwritten letter from your father. Uh, would you please read it out loud to us? Esther, if you're reading this, Be then good, good job. All that, All training, that training I put you through has paid off. If you found Lena, then you're deep into it. Your investigation has probably brought up more questions than it did answers. And most of your questions probably have to do with me. I'm sure Lena has told you her side of the story. About what we did to Javi my best and oldest friend. You may think I'm the bad guy at this point, but if you want to learn what really happened, keep reading. It's true that we did wet work for Carmine Giuseppe. As he rose through the ranks, so did we. We were young and full of ambition, and Carmine preyed on that. He's good at knowing what people want. He's dangerous, Esther. I made certain he'd never hurt you. Stay clear of him. I mean it. When we found out the truth about what Carmine was doing, Javi blew up. He's always been a goody two-shoes. Really, he only worked for Carmine because I convinced him to. The thing inside of Javi hates injustice. Can't stand it. And when we found out what was going on, that thing was fit to burst. It wanted to kill Carmine. And truth be told, I bet it can. But I couldn't let that happen. It wouldn't have been part of the plan. You see, I have a gift, or a curse depending on how you look at it. I can see the future, but only as it pertains to the events leading to and around my death. I started having visions shortly after you were born. Immediately, I started trying to find some way to change the future, to undo it to run from it. But no matter what I did, the visions didn't change. Eventually, I realized my death was inevitable, and I started to make a plan. Everything I've done revolves around the plan. So when Javi started to lose it and threatened to kill Carmine, I had to act quick, because I knew that if I stripped Javi of his powers, I could use that to garner favor with the new boss of the mob. I knew that if I erased Javi's memories and convinced him he was an alcoholic, he'd find his way to the bar and to you. I even knew that if Lena used her ring to do it, she wouldn't be able to use it ever again, and I could take it to give to you. Which brings me to you, Esther. 
My death is tied up in the fate of the city. I stuck my nose in the business of some very powerful people. People that want nothing good for this city and everyone in it. That's why they're sending their wolf to kill me. They've called the Cabal. And they are who I've trained you to bring down. I'm going to die. But someone has to continue this fight. Someone has to get to the bottom of all of this and bring down the Cabal. I trained you to be that person, Esther. All the late nights at the shooting range, the bruises from our boxing matches, the mind-numbing puzzles. I realize I pushed you harder than any little girl deserved to be pushed, but I did it all to prepare you for such a time as this. As I'm writing this, I know I'm going to die tomorrow. Someone's going to break into the bar while you're away, and they're going to kill me. No matter how hard I fight, I won't win. But I know that you, with all your training and all of your stubbornness, will carry on the plan and bring down the Cabal. So that's it. That's the story of Mordecai Black. I hope you can forgive me for what I've done, Esther. And if you can't, I hope you will still follow the plan and dismantle the Cabal piece by piece. I hope you have a crew you're working with. This may seem ironic coming from someone who betrayed his two closest friends, but having people that will stick by you through all that you have to do is invaluable. If you have those people, hold them close. I wish I had trained you more on how to be a friend. Of course, I probably would have been the worst person to teach you that lesson. Give him hell, Esther. Love. Dad. And as you finish that letter, does Esther say anything? Does she feel anything? She feels frustration and resentment. She's angry. She feels a little used, but she still knows what she has to do. And as you sit there kind of grappling with the revelation of your father and your upbringing and the butchers and what Lena told you and what your father had written to you, Lena sits there and she's kind of tapping her fingers together impatiently. I'm dying to know what your father wrote you. I've had that in my pocket for years, but... Even I realize that some secrets are not meant for me. Would you like to go fetch our friend now? Yes. This way. And she stands up and walks back down the uh, aisle you just came from. I follow. Okay. You follow, and she leads you back down the path you went on. And as you step to the end of this uh, aisle of books, you are not at the circulation desk. You are instead in sort of a nexus where all of these shelves seem to meet. And lying almost perfectly in the middle of this circular nexus, this meeting place of bookshelves, is Javi, laying face down. What's happened? As I said, his mind is broken. Being this close to having it all pieced together, I'm sure it's not painless for him. What do we do now? You take him and you leave. 
and I continue the lie that I've never seen my best friend before in my life. It's kind of a shitty life. Huh. To hell with it. Like, go over and try to pick Javi up. Yeah, you pick Javi up, and you, as you're, like, slinging his arm across your shoulders, he stirs. And you see just a little bit of blood underneath his nose, and he says, Hester, is that you? Let's go. He tries to protest, but he is weak, and you just pick him up and start walking with him through the aisles, and, um... Lena leads you back up to the circulation desk, a different way than you came before, but you step out of the same library shelf that you did. And uh, she walks you past the circulation desk, and she grabs the door and she opens it, and you step outside to see your friends Ashley and Fred sitting on the, uh, the marble steps of this library. And Ashley and Fred... What have you been doing this whole time while Esther has been inside? I say we found a, like, outdoor table to sit at with the books. And I've been thumbing through this martial arts book inquisitively. And I will say that Bill probably has never been much of a reader. But recently, remember, he took he took things more seriously. Mm-hmm. And so, there's just something about this book that makes me want to keep reading and reading. So that's that's what I've been doing this whole time, I think. Okay. So Bill is idly, or not idly, he's very intently flipping through the pages of this book. Faye, what are you doing? Um, <clears throat> could I see, like, is it a library that happened to have glass walls or windows that I could see the two of them, or... Um, you could definitely have tried, um, but the glass windows had, like, uh, still shutters on them. Like, almost like storm windows. Sure. Okay. Um, and I obviously couldn't hear them, correct? Yes. Um, I think Faye has just been pacing and trying to listen as much as possible, um, to see if she heard anything that she would need to like run in and help um but she's also just been mulling over all of the dead ends that they're considering right now yeah and i think as you're pacing and as bill is uh flipping through his book you hear the uh the old door open and you look and you see esther being led out um with i guess like his hobby groggily like slung over your shoulder well that was my question like is Javi like so he's not walking so I'm gonna have to like carry him out I think as you like get him up he's like oh, what? what's going on and you like throw an arm around his shoulder and kind of mm-hmm. help him through the door okay um yeah but you see Esther exiting with Javi uh one arm over her shoulder uh, and you see Lena step out and she taps the cane on the ground she says, well, Gina, Fred, and Ashley, it was a pleasure having you at my library. Now, if you would, please, I will take uh, those books back. Unless you're checking them out, that is. 
So she's asking us for the books back? Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm Fred. <laughs> Come on. Um, and I'll say, like, just one second, and then I flip a page. There's this depiction of a bald man with the wide stance, um, and it says Zen Wu underneath it. Then what happens, David? I think you see that picture, and I think you... Like, the rest of the world fades away, and you feel like you are falling into this picture. And Hmm. you are in a world with hills and mountains and rivers and plains, but they are all made with delicate brush strokes. As if you were in an old Edo-era painting. And you're looking at the brush strokes of the distant landscape and you look in front of you and you see this same bald man in monk's robes sitting cross-legged on top of a giant turtle and across his knees is laid a curved sword and this figure looks at you you are one wishes to master himself. Yes. And to master oneself. Instinctually bow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You instinctually bow. And he nods at your sign of respect. He says, in order to master oneself, one must master their emotions. Are you prepared to go on this journey? Oh, yeah. Then go forth. Master your emotions, master yourself, and therefore master the world. And Bill, I think the brush strokes of this world fade away, and you come back to the real world, and uh, I think we see a display of your power as Bill awakens to a new mythos what happens to the world around you? I think maybe um, pebbles kind of lift up off the ground a little bit and you see moisture being pulled like out of blades of grass and floating in the air and maybe like some if there were lights on the outside you see the electricity flowing across the wire that's creating the light like float out of the light bulbs just a little bit like towards me and then you just see all these kind of small elemental things happening maybe for like three seconds and then they all just kind of like slam back to where they go and then I like stand up looking a little confused and probably disoriented okay and as you stand up feeling disoriented uh Faye you feel like your connection to nature come rushing back to you like an eager child running to its mother Esther, I think reflexively, like your your owl wings like shoot out of your shoulders and you stand there looking at Bill. Bill, do you say anything? It's good to be back. End of episode. I thought you were going to say, I'm back, bitches. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Misconceptions. We'll be back with our next episode on November 16th. If you have a Facebook or Twitter, you can find us on both of those platforms. Just look for at Misconceptions Pod and click follow or like. 
We also have an email, mistconceptionspod at gmail.com, if you would like to contact us that way. We also have a Discord where you could talk to us more directly and have discourse with fans of our show. You can click the link in the show notes below to join our Discord. As has already been mentioned, we do have a Patreon, and this show is fully supported by the generous monthly donations of our patrons on Patreon. If you would like to join that elite group of friends and listeners and support us financially, please click the link below. City of Mist is an RPG by Son of Oak. You can find more of their products on sonofoak.com. The Misconceptions theme music is composed by Aaron Wharton. You can find more of his music at aaronwharton.net. Misconceptions is a product of the Misconceptions Podcast Network. And that is it for this week's episode of Misconceptions. Keep it nerdy, y'all.